In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, sponsored by Endris & Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Endris & Hauser, the people for process automation. As a matter of fact, if you want to, and you can while you're listening right now, you can go to cx.endress, that's E-N-D-R-E-S-S dot com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And you can register for our monthly giveaway there. And you can also tell Anderson Hauser, thank you for sponsoring the show. The HSE podcast dedicated to everyone coming home safely. And in that vein, I've invited on the podcast today, Miss Tanya Morris who is the VP for HSE Surface and RIMS for TechNIP FMC. Thanks for coming on, Tanya. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you what, VP for HSE Surface and RIMS for TechNIP FMC, that sounds pretty impressive. You must have, what, 30, 40 years experience in this business? Well, that would be a little bit impossible because I'm actually only 40. So, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I, now I wasn't asking you to give away your age, Tanya, but the reason the reason that I brought it up is because I knew you were young. And the reason I know, because we we've talked about working in this covid environment and I know you have school age children at home. I just think it's pretty impressive that somebody that young has such an important position with TechNIP FMC. How did you do that? Yes, it is definitely something that I'm very proud of and blessed to have. I've worked in this industry, in the oil and gas industry, over 15 years now. My background is actually in in industrial engineering and mathematics, and my master's is in business. So, Really? Your bachelor's is in mathematics, so you were going to be a school teacher, right? No, my bachelor's is in mathematics and industrial engineering. So, oh, okay. All right. So, so you were going to be you know, an engineer. My, my okay. Plan and All right. Focus was to to really just work within the organizations in order to do process improvement. So many people often ask me, "Well, then how did you end up in HSC?" Well, HSC done correctly is process improvement. So if you go about and putting the various programs and the necessities in place then you will improve your processes. But the major added bonus is that you are keeping people safe. People are able to go home in a manner of which they came and have uh, safe days. And so that people aspect is what drew me to HSC. Now, I'll be honest, I originally started more or less focused on the risk management consulting side. And so many of the customers actually utilize my math skill set. And so from there, I was able to learn more. But the data and all the analytics behind HSC has allowed for me to bring forth a different skill set of which I'm utilizing the trends and the information in order to be proactive. So where did you get your bachelor's? The Great College of SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, where I attended and also played basketball for them. So I was on a basketball scholarship. Oh, okay. All right. And then where'd you get your master's? I got my MBA from Letourneau University. Okay. Another great school. Both have very strong foundational beliefs and a lot of focus on improving yourself and being there for others. So with those foundations, it it did allow me to keep 
the necessary things in perspective as I moved up the chain in regards to business and making sure that I understood and kept my foundation correct. And also, you know, that allows for me to work for companies that in that also allow for those strong and key foundational beliefs. And it's definitely there within Technique FMC. Are you originally from Texas? Houston, born and grown. So oh, uh, wow, very much so. Not very many people can say that, but yes. Well, you're talking to one, Tanya. Oh, Houston, born and grown. There we go. My family's yep. actually from Michigan. Yep. My mother was pregnant with me when my family moved here to Houston. So I was the very first one here, born here in Houston. Well, congratulations. So, <laughs> so Tanya, you have school-age children. You're working from home. They're going to school online, I guess, and you still live in the Houston area, correct? Yes, that's the correct. I do have school-age children who are attending school virtually amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. So, yes, you know, it is a a balancing act. I'm also a part of our global crisis management team that is focused on COVID-19. So we meet weekly or bi-weekly at 4.30 a.m. Houston time in order to give the latest and greatest medical updates. It is a global call. So we have people from all of our locations around the world who has been charged with being over the activities in regards to how we're preventing the spread of COVID-19. So You know, the days start early, they end late. And in between, I am acting as a teacher's aide as the kids are working virtually with their teachers who are working very hard. And everyone is just doing an overall team effort in order to make the best of a very difficult situation. You're very inspiring, Tanya. I don't know about that, but I appreciate you. Okay, so so Tanya, this Serious Incidents and Fatality Prevention or SIFP program I can definitely see from the PowerPoint presentation that you sent me on it, it certainly involves your mathematics background. Let's see if we can pool our creativity together here and get people to visualize what you're talking about here with this program. Definitely. This is definitely a program that I am very passionate about. program started roughly about three years ago in which we were focused on proactive HSE programs. Far too often in this industry, we're putting out fires. And the key into actually driving the necessary change will be for us to actually not have the fires at all. And not having the fires at all results in our employees remaining safe. So this program actually identifies potential and existing hazards that are within our daily activities. And we provide a process for mitigating these activities that are designed, approved, and implemented. And the key here is we're going to, we're focusing on our high potential. So these are, these are potential incidents or injuries of which they could cause a serious injury or a fatality. And so we start within there and The categories that we focus on, of course, are any injuries or any illnesses and also any harm to the environment. And so what this is, is a program that allows for any employee within the company to identify a very high risk activity, bring forth the activity that's being done to the local operational leadership. And it's a joint effort with operations, HSE, and even engineering in order to come up with improvement designs 
And this this does come about changing processes. You know, examples could be the way of which we're lifting a particular equipment that could lead to a dropped object. So how can we better engineer design this? And these improvements are shared amongst the organization and also shared with our customers because HSC is a team effort all the way around and we want to drive this improvement. So over the past, you know, nearly three years, we've implemented roughly about 150 improvement projects that have taken place. The program as a whole, along with some excellent team members that I'm very fortunate to work with, actually was able to, the year before last, won what we call a driving change award. Basically, it's an award that is given to employees that are truly exemplifying our foundational beliefs. And of course, safety is one of our foundational beliefs, making sure that we are driving that in a positive manner. So this program has had a a really strong effect on our company in a positive way, which has ultimately led to us driving down our number of serious injuries and fatalities and our overall numbers. Because if you can stop these before they happen, then of course your injuries and so forth will go down. And as part of this, we've seen that positive improvement as well. So you say 150 different projects have been implemented. And when I say implemented, there's actually a review board. So on this review board, you have people from all facets of the organization, whether they're working within safety, they're working in engineering, they're actually product designers, so on and so forth, that are all a part of this review board that meets monthly. And these projects are submitted and they're reviewed in detail. And if they don't hit the necessary check marks in regards to actually truly mitigating that risk, then they're denied and the team has to go back and implement better changes and so forth. And then once they are approved, we have a notification system that goes out to all the employees showing the before and the after, you know, some of the positives is that, you know, when this, the initial before the changes have been made that have identified and approved, you know, it might be a high risk, like a red level type of risk. And, you know, progressing it and, and, you know, whether it be through elimination or substitution or engineering. And that brings down your risk profile. That brings down your number. And by bringing that number down, then the risk factor that that employee is interacting with is much lower and which is what you want. So we want to get that risk level down to green as much as possible where there's minimum risk involved. So you have you mentioned the red and trying to go from red down to green. Yeah, so it's red, yellow, green, yes. Red, yellow, and green. And then you you have some kind of what you call HSE risk matrix. Yes. So that risk matrix really is what outlines your risk profile. So it takes into account the potential, whether it be in regard to the people or the environment, and then also the frequency of which you're doing or the exposure to the activity. So it is a multiplication factor that gives you an overall risk number. So, for example, if you are doing an activity that could lead to a fatality and it's something that you're doing, you know, either weekly or on a daily basis, that would be at the highest level, which would be a 256 red level. And so the goal would be to work in to reduce that number on down. And you can reduce that, like I was stating, through elimination, substituting out the risk or putting a control in place that would mitigate the level of potential injury or illness or harm to the environment. 
Yeah, I think I want to review that one more time. If you're into risk management in any shape, form, or fashion, what Tanya just outlined there is, I guess, what you would call HSE 101. So you want to you want to review those three things again, Tanya. The first thing you do, if possible, is is you eliminate the risk, right? Yes. So that is the very first thing you want to try to do, because if you can eliminate the risk, you know, whether it be, you know, a, you know, an uncontrolled pressure release or whether it be a dropped object and so on and so forth or or the potential for a major spill into the environment. If you have a way of which you can eliminate, you know, the one of them could be for the in regards to the environment, you're using a chemical that is, you know, very high risk as far as what it can do if you're exposed to it, if you're able to substitute that out to something different, or you have, in that particular case, if you're able to substitute it out or and, or no longer use that chemical, then you would want to do that. If you would like to, you in that case, you may need to control it. So you can put some engineering control, some barriers or some forth in place in order to prevent and contain that. You know, same kind of concept would go into place if you have the potential for a dropped object. So say you're lifting a a piece of equipment, very heavy piece of equipment, and you might have your employee in the line of fire or you don't have actual engineered lift points. We want to get that employee out of the line of fire. We want to have engineered lift points. And then we want to have, you know, if there was that potential for that equipment to drop, what kind of barriers and things that we have in place. So it's the overall reduction or mitigation of the exposure of the employee to the rest. And then you have to implement the policies and procedures and you have to get buy-in from your people. Yeah. So there's the review board who they do all the checks and balances. There's the, you know, depending on the situation, there is some financial investment, which technique FMC leadership, especially coming all the way down from our CEO has has completely backed in regards to doing whatever is necessary to keep the employees within Technique FMC safe. So there's the capital investment that is a part of that. And, you know, there's one thing I didn't mention is that once one of these projects are raised by, like I said, anyone within the organization. So if if an employee on the shop floor identifies something as he or she is working and they see it as high risk, once it gets put into the system, it goes through our safety management system. Once it gets put into the system and it, and it goes out to the necessary parties, we have a targeted date of 90 days or less in order to mitigate that risk out of our organization. So we don't want to go any longer than 90 days. And now those 90 days includes all the things I talked about. So you you have to first come up with the pertinent solution or mitigation and design. There's the capital investments, there's getting what's necessary in and so forth and the changes that are made. All of that has to happen and before 90 days. So you can imagine the amount of effort put in by all employees, especially leadership, in order to make those things take place. And it is reviewed and a part of the notification systems is determining if it's applicable to another site. So one location might identify it. And then so we've mitigated it at one location, but then another location has the same risk. Well, we don't want that to happen. So there's a a process that goes through where you have to validate whether it is or isn't relevant to your location. And if it is, go through the process to get it mitigated at your site. And it includes all the information so they're not recreating the wheel. 
So it is a very detailed process that we do go about and we take pride in getting them implemented and mitigated within a 90 day time frame. And you feel like you feel like the results have really been worth the effort, right? Oh, most definitely. So the CIFP is the prevention part of it. So that's why you have a P at the end, which is the prevention. So a CIF is if an incident does occur, a high risk incident or inclusive of a near miss. And so we've seen a steady decrease in the number of cases, CIF cases, serious injury and fatality. We've seen a decrease in those numbers as we've progressed with this particular program. And we've also seen a decrease in all of our numbers in regards to our reportables, our lost times, and we also track our hurt. Hurts are inclusive of recordables, but they also include any first aid cases. Okay. Now, now you explain that acronym that you just used there. Your Which one? The hurt. So a hurt case would be most people in HSE track your total recordable incident rate. And those are outlined by basically a level by which an employee has to receive additional treatment. A first aid could be an employee is working, they get a scratch, they get something in the eye that, that doesn't need additional medical attention and so on and so forth. And although, you know, those are not turned into, in our case, the OSHA organization, as far as our regulatory body in the United States, within Technip FMC, we want, like we stated, employees to go home in the same manner in which they came. So if now they're going home with, you know, a scrape, you know, or a sore eye, or even, you know, a little tightness in their in their back that didn't require any additional medical treatment, they're still affected. And so that is important to us. And so we track this number and we're driving all of our controls in our programs in order to reduce that as well, which has been the driving force. And so we've seen that improvement in our numbers. And so one of the other things we do track is safe day. So what a safe day means within our organization is, is there's no accidents or near misses and a near miss with the high level of severity, like we've talked about, you know, something that is either catastrophic or a high risk ranking number. And so we track safe days within our entire global organization. And if we don't have any of these types of incidents, then we say that is a safe day within Technip FMC. And our goal is to have every single day be a safe day. There you go. We have seen an increase in the number of safe days. That is something we do track. You know, all of our numbers, I mean, a lot of the numbers 2019 and so forth are actually available on our Technip FMC website. So I would encourage anyone to go to that website and have a look. We have some great information from our CEO and then also some of the programs that we have implemented and the numbers that we have statistically. Well, you read my mind. That was my next question. I was, so what we'll do is, is we'll put the website in the show notes so that people can go and do just exactly that. We'll also put your LinkedIn URL in the show notes. So okay, that, uh, that'll be great. Anybody can contact you. I, I really appreciate it, Tanya. This program, is this something you wrote yourself or your team wrote? Or Well, I can say it started off as my baby, but the team, it would not be where it is today without the support of the team and, of course, the support of our leadership. So it is an altogether team activity. Wait. You know what? We talked about HSE 101 a while ago. Well, that's a, that's HSE 
202. <laughs> if you don't have a good team, and especially if you don't have the support from the top, then, you know, you need to go back to square one. So it's great to hear that you have that. We encourage other companies and organizations to have the same spirit and the same attitude. We really appreciate you coming on today and talking about this, Tanya. It's very impressive. You know, these are tough times, different times in this COVID environment. These kind of remote interviews are really something that our podcasts never did. We always did face-to-face podcasts and we had, you know, professional microphones and headphones and all that sort of thing. We appreciate everyone tuning in this week. You may have caught a few noises in the background that we weren't able to edit out, but that's part of this new environment that we're working out of. But we really appreciate you tuning in. Tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Endress and Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you can discover more about Endress and Hauser at cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. You don't have to remember all that. We'll put that in the show notes along with where you can follow us on LinkedIn at at Anderson Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endress underscore US. Thanks again. Thanks again, Tanya. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that Flow to the Bottom Line on October 15th. And last, we have strategic opportunities to right-sizing GNA and achieving free cash flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.